Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Kareem Kanji. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get right into it. Today's guest you will be very familiar with, especially if you are a hockey fan here in Canada. Nick Kiprios is joining me. He is a Canadian retired professional hockey player. He played eight seasons in the NHL for teams such as the Hartford Whalers, Washington Capitals, Toronto Maple Leafs, and the New York Rangers, where he won a Stanley Cup. He retired in 1998 following a concussion while playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs and spent more than 20 years as a hockey analyst and insider with Sportsnet. Today, he is the host of Wheel Kipper at noon. Go check it out on YouTube. And he's also the co-owner of a brand new beverage company called Little Buddha Cocktail Company. Go check it out and ask for it at the LCBO. Uh, Kipper joined me in virtual studio. Uh, He has just written a book called Undrafted Hockey Family and What It Takes to Be a Pro. If you are a hockey fan, this is a book that you must get published by Simon & Schuster. Again, thanks for joining me. Here is my conversation with Nick Kiprios. I am very well, thank you. You got a nice studio there. Thanks, buddy. Look at that. Yes. Wow. Can I rent your place <laughs> once the pandemic is over? What's that, buddy? Can I rent your place once the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Are you kidding me? For sure. That, that yeah, we uh, we built this thing uh, through the pandemic and got her got it ready. Is that in the basement? Yeah, it's in the house. Oh, damn, that's nice. Thanks, pal. That's really, really nice. Thanks so much for spending Where some time you? with me. Where are you? Where are you? I'm in I'm in Scarborough down the street from a burger place called Johnny Anderson's. Oh, my God. It's in Was the that, book. Is that, is that the John? Yeah, because you talk about the Johnny's. In yeah, the, Johnny's, John Anderson's, Vic Park, and... Uh, yeah. Van Horn. I'm just, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm That's just. That's where I grew uh, up. No way. Yep. Okay. So, what, like, what schools did you go to there? Don Valley Junior High, okay. George Vanier. Oh, you just on the Vanier. other side of uh, <laughs> Don Mills. Vanier. Did you ever go for patties at uh, Allen's? Yes. At the Peanut? Yes. Peanut oh. Plaza, man. I My s- dad I was s- like, don't go to the Peanut Plaza. <laughs> I don't want to see, I don't want to find her here that you're at the peanut plaza. <laughs> was it, was it that, uh, that arcade in the basement you were not allowed to go to? Yes. That's right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I, my, my brother, I think got, uh, f- back then five bucks was a lot of money, but I think got five bucks stolen from him. It could, it could carry you five bucks. Oh yeah. yeah. Back then. So how's your, um, gig going? Um, I've got a few gigs. My, uh, my quote unquote full-time job is, is going well, you know, yeah. knock on wood. Uh, yeah, what do you do? In, uh, I am in, uh, marketing and advertising. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we work with some, uh, medium sized, big size brands, uh, in Canada and, uh, yeah. And, and the podcasting has been sort of keeping Good. me busy as well. Good. 
Good. Well, thanks for uh, uh, calling on me and giving me some airtime. No worries. Thank you so much for your time. I I truly appreciate it. Um, Okay. We're good. We're good. Have you read my book? I read it and... Okay, so I'm going to be very honest with you. <laughs> well, listen, no problem. We, we, you can save it for when, we, when we're on air. We can have a... No, consider this. I'll, I'll sort of edit stuff. I'll do a proper introduction yeah. afterwards. But um, my friends tease me because I've had Duthie on. Yes. Um, I've had um, his... Uh, oh, my goodness. His name escapes me. His partner at the Juniors. Uh, this year. Uh, Bob uh, McKenzie. McKenzie. I've had McKenzie on. Uh, I've spoken with Al Strachan recently. Yes. I've had like two or three other hockey people on. And all my friends tease me because they know I am not the biggest hockey fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But you've you know, got all the hockey people on. Yeah. Your book is the first hockey book I've actually finished reading. I love it. Word for word. I read it. Awesome. Word, word for word. Everyone else's book, you know, I'll, I'll leave through. I'll read a few chapters, yeah. especially Mackenzie's book. Yeah. And Duffy's book. Cause they've got like stories in it. Right. Yeah. So I picked a handful of stories, read that. Um, but yes, your right. book I found it was, it was the weirdest feeling I had, Nick. After I finished your book, I'm like, I'm feeling emotional here. What the heck is going on? <laughs> yeah, I love it. It was it was Thanks. well, very well written. So I I'm looking forward to uh, to right. chatting with you about some. So of this. what are we doing now? Are we taping something for your podcast? Is yeah. it? Uh, yeah, is yeah. It- this this will go up on uh, uh, on iTunes on Spotify. Yeah. And, uh, okay, and but there's no else. video component to it, is there? No, no, no video okay. component. Yeah, yeah, no video component. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll put together like a a two or three minute video snippet that'll go on YouTube, but that will just sort of have a stock image on it. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. But let me ask you this, Nick, right off the top. How have you been keeping during, during this, uh, this uh, nine month COVID uh, lockdown? I'm like everybody else where uh, you try to, stay as positive as you can. And then sometimes you get some shitty days and you you don't see uh, necessarily a light at the end of the tunnel and you have some rough patches, but you just move on, right? Mm -hmm. What choice do you have? Yeah. Even when you complain, no one's going to listen anyway. So you just grind right through it. And the good part was despite some naysayers uh, way back about uh, finishing up last season, mm-hmm. they were able to do that. And I was able to launch my, my show real Kipper at noon. So that gave it a good warm up. hopefully to get into this season, 2021 uh, myself, Doug McLean. So we're, we're anxious to get going again. Nice. Um, I know you've played and I don't, you know, we don't, we don't need to spend too much time on this, but you know, I, I'd be dishonest with myself if I didn't ask you, you know, you spent uh, many years playing in the U S um, you've got uh, a lot of good friends that live down there um, past couple of days. Uh, the, the stuff that's been going on specifically in Washington, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you sort of have, have things going through your mind and your heart, you know, what, uh, what's been going through your, your head these days. Yeah. Well, and I spent three years with the Washington Capitals, so mm. still have many friends uh, in, in the D.C. area. But uh, this is not only the United States, but it's worldwide. It affects everybody right across the planet because we look at uh, America as being a leader. 
yeah. unfortunately, there's not much leadership going on there. And we all, we all knew where this thing could end up and how ugly it could get. And no one was there to stop it, which is disappointing. Yeah. And I hope, I hope people are held accountable for it. That's all, mm -hmm. including yeah. obviously where it starts at the very top with yeah. Trump. Yeah. We, um, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy days, but you know, there's, um, you know, hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel, you know, both, both with what's going on politically, but also with, with what's affecting many, many people worldwide with, yeah. with COVID-19. And we will, we're resilient yeah. people. And so. we've, yeah. historically that's, we haven't had any choice, but to be resilient and we will get through this and we'll get through the pandemic and we'll move on. And there are better days ahead. Unfortunately, it's not at the speed that we'd all like to see it at. Sure. We just finished um, the world, uh, the junior championships. Um, what it, you know, Canada, you know, did they didn't win gold? They, they, I thought they had a great tournament. Um, save for obviously the last game. What, what impressed you, and who impressed you on that team? Well, there's no question that uh, every time we watch this, we know we're watching future stars in the National Hockey League, and that's a given. Canada, I had I lost count, 18, 19 first round picks. Uh, but the one thing I think that you you learn to understand too is that you know it's not a God given right that you're playing in this tournament and you're going to go on and do great things in the NHL. And there's some guys that are going to be disappointed and there's others that are going to end up having hall of fame careers. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to hear You don't want to put too much stock in it and put all the pressure on the world. There's still teenagers out there. And yeah, there's, there's incredible talent uh, on, on both sides. Um, and then probably when you factor in, you know, even Tim Stutzel from, from Germany and nowhere near, uh, the depth of a hockey club to win a championship, but you know that they're, they're good hockey players here that have a chance to be household names very soon in the NHL. Mm -hmm. But there's also ones that are going to fall by the wayside too. So sure. sometimes you watch these games and you appreciate the hype and, and the level that, you know, even um, a network like TSN can instill to add to that excitement. But every once in a while, you got to remember they're just teenagers here and, and, and some of them will make it and some of them won't. And the important thing is, is they still feel good about themselves when, when they don't make it. Yeah. How, how do you feel when, when you watch hockey, uh, whether it's the juniors or, you know, net, you know, when, when you started covering it with, uh, with your new show, um, how do, how do you feel about watching professional hockey these days? I'm, I'm still entertained. It's still a game that I love. It's a game that I grew up on and uh, I'm very thankful for it. At times, I think we can overanalyze and we can um, look at it too closely, I think, but that's what we do when we're professional analysts. That's, that's what you've been paid for the last 21 years. So overall, I think it's, it's still very much a, a great game to watch. The players have never been faster, uh, bigger, stronger, yeah. more agile. Um, you know, the question is, are we trying to squeeze too much out of them at times? And mm. when the game isn't as entertaining as, as we think it should be at times, are there various degrees of why? And uh, sometimes I think because the ask is so much, sometimes three games mm. and four nights, some of these kids, by the time they've even turning professional and 
we factor in so many times they've been asked to play so much more than besides their respective clubs during the winter, i.e. under 17, under 18, under 20s, uh, Russian Canada series. We, we squeeze a lot out of these a guys. A lot of hockey, yeah. A lot of hockey. <laughs> and for the most part, I think we're very fortunate in, in terms of uh, – how popular it is, especially here in Canada. Yeah. And I've been able to make a, a, a living from it long after I played the game. And I'm thankful for that too. Yeah, that's true. Your book undrafted, uh, like I said, off the top, a, a wonderful, wonderful read. Uh, I think what you and uh, Perry Lefko did with this is amazing. Is really, oh, really good. I really appreciate that. And I'll give you a little bit of a tidbit too, Karen. Um, my, my wife graduated with a journalism degree and she was very much a big part of this. She did a, a ton of editing too. Okay. You know, per, Perry's, Perry's a terrific writer, uh, did a terrific job. I really enjoyed my time with him, but you know, my wife had the final touch on, on making sure that my voice, it, it was heard and, and she knows my voice better than anybody after 22 years. So wow, <laughs> she did, uh, she did a great job of editing it, but, uh, you know, Simon and Schuster, Perry, my wife, Anne Marie, uh, we were overall very pleased, I think with, with the finish of it. And I, I think my voice did come through. You, you talk about that, your voice and, and how your wife sort of helped you find that, um, after I read it, I was talking with, uh, with a friend of mine who's a, who's a huge hockey fan. And, um, and we, you know, we sort of both came to the same conclusion that, um, you're, you seemed to, to come across in the book as someone who's never forgotten, um, where they come from, never forgotten their roots and throughout the book, like family and relationships seem to be very, very important for you. Um, Sort of tell me about, you know, where all this comes from. My dad's a pretty emotional guy. And uh, that emotion stems from being around people, his family, especially. I talk a lot about him coming over from Greece. And the only thing on his mind was uh, eventually bringing over his brother, his sister, his brothers, his sister, his mom. And that, that's all that mattered to him. So it, I, I think from an early age, I just picked up on his ability to connect with people, either family or, or friends or in the restaurant business, your, your customers, your, your clientele. So he's very much a people's person. He, he values the people that are around him. And uh, I, I just kind of picked up on that. And to be able to instill that in a, a team game like hockey, I think came rather naturally to me. So yeah. I think um, when I think about writing a book, that, that's where my first thoughts are is you don't end up in this place by yourself. You, you, it's the support of your family and your friends and your colleagues. And I had a lot of that in minor hockey in junior hockey and in pro and at Sportsnet for 21 years in the broadcasting world. So it was easy to draw off my, my dad and my mom's uh, what they were able to instill in me and just try to instill it in the way I carry myself every day. Yeah. And to this day, I 
I do often find myself saying, okay, well, how would my dad or my mom handle this situation? And uh, it just, it just doesn't change because you're 54, 55 years old. Yeah. Now. <laughs> Speak, speaking of your dad, there's, there's a, a, a story in your book about uh, how you, and it reminds me the hockey sticks behind you. So you reminded me of the story in your book where you used to, as a player, collect other players, hockey sticks uh, and store them at your dad's place. And your dad would, is it your dad would garden in the backyard or something? Yeah. Oh no. He loved his garden, <laughs> loved his tomatoes, his cucumber, uh, everything that uh, could, could grow. Uh, it, it made him feel like he was back in the old country, but sometimes the tomatoes grew awfully tall and, and you needed sturdy sticks. So he, he found my old hockey sticks. Uh, to, to grow tomatoes with. <laughs> Sometimes they were very expensive, expensive <laughs> hockey sticks. Hockey sticks. <laughs> Which, uh, did he ever use one that you just, you couldn't get it back? It's, it's It was over. Yeah, Mario Lemieux. <laughs> um, I think he took a Gilmore with the All leaves. Right. <laughs> Some of those sticks uh, could fetch a pretty penny right now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> absolutely absolutely who do you who do you who stick are those your sticks uh, uh yes those? i've got actually uh yeah i've got my stick i got a brian leach a wendell clark uh an eric lindros i got a few on the wall and i i was able to build this set uh yeah. during the pandemic we were in a bit of a rush with uh bubble hockey starting august 1st so we were able to get it done but uh, I hope to eventually have maybe a second camera and you can get a, a better feel. I've got a, I got a North Bay junior Jersey framed. Unfortunately, uh, people that watch my show can't see it yet, but slow and steady here as we yeah. move forward. Absolutely. Well, listen, you know, Sportsnet wasn't built in a day, so neither will this, uh, <laughs> the real Kipper, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, you, uh, you know, you played when, was it the Swift current? Is it the Broncos? Am I getting that? Uh, yes, that you team? are. Yes. There was um, that um, unfortunate crash. Yeah. Yes. And, and they I lost think you, uh, four players on the team. And I think you were with Sportsnet when Humboldt. Yes, correct. tragedy Humboldt started. Yes. Um, yeah. Hockey? And that just brings you back full circle to that yeah. junior life. Uh, Karen and uh, and traveling on the bus and some of those long, cold, dark winter, you know, white, um, whitewash kind of storms, uh, barely seeing five or six feet in front of you, uh, brought back all those memories and how difficult it, it was. And, and I also, you know, spoke in the book about how difficult that is on, on your loved ones too, of knowing that, uh, you're on the road late at night and, you know, uh, slippery roads, black ice, you know, it's, but it's junior life at its, at its finest. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, uh, we can hear a, a story or two that, uh, can break our hearts. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, I, I think one didn't need to necessarily be a hockey fan to understand the, the, the sort of the, the depth of that tragedy, um, you know, especially if, if one has children and they're going and they're doing anything, right? School trips take these same school buses, yes. you know, um, uh, yes. across different cities and provinces and stuff. And, um, but it was, um, 
you know, I, I don't know if if any Canadian was sort of untouched emotionally at the least um, from that. And just in terms of how much these guys, how much I loved it, how much, how badly you want to play the game. You're very fortunate if, if you get into your late teens or you're even in your twenties and you're, you're playing a kid's game for goodness sakes, you know, it's, it's such a gift to be able to, as an adult, um, have those feelings you had when you're seven, eight, nine. And mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but I think all you have to do is look in the eyes of a hockey player to understand how much he, he loves the game. Yeah. When did you know? I know there's a story. Is it you and your dad are outside? Is it Maple Leaf Gardens? I think. Yeah. And you sort of. Yeah. That was the first hockey game he ever took me to. And yeah. Uh, just walking into Maple Leaf Gardens and, and just having this feeling overwhelm you and to watch it on TV and then to actually experience it live is, uh, is a moment that you'll just never forget. And I try to capture that early in the book and, uh, and how it kind of set me up Mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, I want, I'm, I'm really interested because um, I think you would admit, right. You know, you, you were a decent goal scorer, I think in junior. Um, but you, you know, you, you, your career is, is a career of somebody who to, to me, um, someone who, who might not have had the, the talent that other people had, but had that drive, had that determination, had that never quit attitude that you were going to play the Canadian game at the highest levels if possible uh, until somebody told you, no, you can't do it anymore. Yes. Tell, I mean, tell me about like, do you ever look at yourself as you're shaving in the morning or whatever <laughs> saying, how the heck did I end up here? Yeah, I still do that. Uh, I, I can't even look at my face on this book and still believe <laughs> that that's me. That and more up? importantly, that anyone else would be remotely interested in this. <laughs> but I think what I was fortunate enough, and sometimes it seems so simple, but then others struggle with it. And that's just finding different ways to get to a place that you want to get to. And if you've got a fixed mindset that there's only one way to get there. And if there's a roadblock there, you're in trouble, right? And it's not, you can't count the times that you fall. You just got to count one more time that you get up. That's Mm. all that matters. And I really hoped to, to, to express that in the book, but I was fortunate enough to understand that in life, if everybody was the same, it'd be pretty damn boring. We take, it takes different pieces. It takes different ideas. It takes, um, we don't need 20 Wayne Gretzky's on a hockey club. Mm. And I knew I wasn't going to be the one who was going to be a Wayne Gretzky. (laughs) So just find something that either a a general manager, a coach, uh, a teammate can say, Hey, we could really use that 
on the team. Huh. And that can't be me and it can't be Brian Leach and it can't be Mike Richter or Glenn Healy, but it can be Nick Kiprios. Nick Kiprios can do something that we need. And I identified that fairly early when I couldn't score like you had just alluded to at a rate that I was comfortable enough in junior. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many top goal scorers came out of junior hockey and never got a cup of coffee. They just, they were one dimensional and they're not patient people there. And they're really not patient people at any top level of any business, um, sports, medical law. When you're at the top of your game with a firm or a hockey team, you don't perform. You don't bring it right away. They go next. And I didn't want to be a guy that someone looked at and said, next, I wanted to be the guy that stuck around and said, okay, you're in, we want you, you can bring something to the table and we appreciate you and we're good to go. And I was able to do that by playing a a, a physical brand of hockey, one that I could stand up for my teammates. I could have some pushback, uh, change the momentum of a hockey game and more importantly, make others around me feel good. Yeah. And I think sometimes that gets lost in the equation because like I said, if you're fixed minded and, and you think you're a goal scorer and you're not getting the opportunity to score goals, therefore it's, it's their fault. It's the coach's fault. Mm. It's, it's the guy that I, it's, it's the guy that I play with. It's his fault because he doesn't pass me the puck enough. Well, that's just garbage. And if you keep using those excuses, you're going to be out of the game real quick. So find a different way where you can contribute and people can value that and and you're good to go. And I was able to do that and, and turn um, what probably, you know, shouldn't have been a 12 year career. Was it a, was it an easy decision? Was it a quick decision? Yeah, it, it, it was, to be honest with you, I, I didn't, uh, it was not, uh, I was not tormented to say, okay, Okay. I got to start fighting more or I got to body check more. I was not, um, there was no sleepless nights. There was just, I know I can do this. And at times when I was scoring 60 goals in junior, I, I also, I body checked. I, I fought every once in a while, but I just know I had the passion to come to the rink every day, whether or not I scored two goals or three goals, uh, ultimately didn't matter to me. What mattered to me was I felt good about my contribution and it was valued by the people that mattered most. Mm -hmm. And if, if that was happening, then all that mattered is I got to go to the rink and do this. And I want to go to the rink again tomorrow and do this. And the next day after that. So, uh, I was happy to, to do whatever I needed to do to have an NHL career. Wow. Tell me about your, the, the feeling that went through you um, your first NHL training camp? Well, my first training camp was on the invitation to the Philadelphia Flyer organization as a, what we call today a PTO, and that's a professional uh, tryout. Okay. So I didn't get drafted, thus yeah. the name of the book, Undrafted. And I had, no one really looked at me or, or made me feel after uh, my one year of eligibility in the draft that I was going to be drafted or, or I had a great 
a chance to be a professional hockey player. That just didn't happen. And my only focus was to come back to North Bay the next year and have a better season, score more goals, get noticed. And sure enough, out of the blue, I got a, a call from the Philadelphia Flyer organization to come out and try out for the Flyers. Knew nothing about the pro game, knew nothing about uh, what it took to go to a NHL training camp. All I knew was uh, don't embarrass yourself and ask for autographs. So um, at times, trust me, I wanted to, I've been watching these guys. Sure. I watched, I watched, uh, all of them, uh, on a nightly basis, hockey night in Canada. I knew all their names. It was, uh, an incredible thrill. And I tried my best to play the role of a big time hockey player trying out for a team, but you got overwhelmed. And I sure. thought I got overwhelmed to the point where they were just going to send me back to North Bay and say, thanks for coming out, but we have no interest in you. And sure enough, uh, I got called into Bobby Clark's office, the general manager at the time. And he said, we want to sign you to a contract. And like I said, in the book, uh, my jaw basically fell to the ground. You, <laughs> <laughs> me? me? Are you, you're not talking about somebody else. <laughs> Did you get his autograph at least? That must have been like <laughs> wild. Because that was his first year, wasn't it? I got his I got his autograph on the on the on bottom of my contract. <laughs> That's all that mattered back That's then. That's the best autograph. Yeah. It was um he was just starting out too, because he had just recently yeah. retired. So I still knew him as the great Bob Clark, captain of the Flyers, uh, Stanley Cups, no front teeth. Yeah. Uh the grin. Uh, the the mentality of do whatever it takes to to win, which he was as good as anybody in the history of the game, and uh, it, it was it was nice. And what was even nice in the book I talk about was the fact that I went to multiple training caps after that, mm-hmm. and and didn't make the team, and yet they they didn't give up on me. And and then the year I was supposed to play for the Flyers. I get claimed by the Washington Capitals, but I often think what would have happened if I would have stayed in, in Philadelphia, or if I would have started my career there, but hindsight's 2020, as they say, yeah. right? Yeah. Sometimes you can't choose, right? Was, which did, was there a player at that time uh, with the, with the flyers, whether it was your first year or, you know, the subsequent years that you spent with them um, that made the biggest impact on you? Yes. And I, I make it crystal clear in the book, uh, that guy was Tim Kerr. And at the time he was scoring 50 and 60 goals for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, but he ended up having a a horrible shoulder injury that cut his career short. And at the time I had just suffered, uh, a knee injury that needed a complete reconstruction, anterior cruciate ligament, uh, meniscus, uh, completely ruptured and uh, needed to be rebuilt. So we ended up doing some rehab together. Wow. And he took me under his wing. And uh, I talk a lot about in the book, what that experience was like. And uh, he had such an impact on me moving forward. Mm -hmm. And to this day is his, his words still kind of resonate with me. He was, he was that player that always looks, he parked in front of the net. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a, a linebacker who played yeah. hockey. He was 
220, he's about 230, 240, 6'2. And they they test us on the bench press. Okay. Uh at training camp every year. And they would have to beg him to stop. It'd be like <laughs> so they wanted they wanted us to bench press our own weight as many times as we could. And here I am. I think I came in at 205. And I don't know what I did. I, I did, uh, I think maybe 25 times, which is right. really good. Yeah. So Tim Kerr's up there and he's 240. And I think they, they asked him to stop at 30. Wow. So <laughs> it was, it was incredible to watch this guy, uh, how strong he was and how he could, like you said, handle the front of the net. Yeah. And built a, a hall of, which should, should have been a hall of fame career, uh, in front of the net. He was so much fun to watch, but he was a great guy too. And took me, uh, took me all but five minutes to understand, uh, being around that guy can only make you better. Sure. Absolutely. Um, one name that popped out and I, I just remember him that he was, he was such a great goalie. <laughs> But I think even his life got cut short. Pelly Lindbergh, was he still playing when you? My first there? training camp, Pelly Lindbergh uh, was there. Yeah. And then uh, I think it was the following year that uh, he crashed his Porsche and uh, was killed. And being a part of that organization, I, I, I felt the ripple effect and I was back in North Bay. Yeah. And it, 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 it really moved me. Um, knowing what a great guy he was and the effect he had on his teammates and what a great goalie he was, he was destined to become. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a, that was a very difficult time in that organization, unfortunately that they had to go through, but uh, you know, like anything, you just got to find ways to get through it and hopefully be stronger for it. There's there's a bunch of names in your book that when they popped out, I'd go, oh, I remember him. Um, I was a huge when he when he was on the radio. Uh, Bob McCowan fan loved listening to him. Loved it when you came on. You guys seemed to have a friendly banter back back and forth. You and Bob, but um, a name that popped out was Bill Waters. Yes. And I thought Bill and Bob made a great duo, but, um, Bill was your agent. Tell me, yes. tell me about him being your agent, the type of guy he was, as well as I think you also, you had a chance to work with him with yes. Sportsnet as yeah. well. Well, this is again, Greek, Greek family growing up. What do we know about hockey? I went to <laughs> Philadelphia flyer training camp without an agent, uh, just me. And I I get summoned into Bobby Clark's office and he he's now telling me that he's presenting me with a, a contract and I should get my agent on the phone. And I'm like, I don't have one. <laughs> Do I need one? And he's like, I know he's looking at me going, Oh my God, I could have this guy give me money for a contract right now. <laughs> but uh, so I asked him, does he know any? And of course he's Bob Clark. He knows all of them. And uh he reaches back and gets a Rolodex and starts looking at different names. And sure enough, Bill Waters, Bernada sports pops up. So that was, uh, we, uh, first really got to know each other. And then, as you said, uh, years later in the broadcast world, uh, Bill joined us at Sportsnet, and we had a couple of run-ins on air. Uh, of course, 
Bill's the management side of all of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. the player side of all of it. And every once in a while sparks fly, but I had a lot of fun with Bill Waters over the years and uh, uh, good memories of uh, some, some, some good conversations. Yeah. He's uh, I, I loved him, him and Bob McCown, I think were the, you know, Bob's had a bunch of, co-hosts or had a bunch of co-hosts uh on on his show bill waters was one of my favorites well they're 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 big personalities right both those guys and they've got a lot to say and they've got a lot of experience and they've done it incredibly well in in the media side of it uh for good reason they're they're fun energy to be around you've worked with a lot of big personalities uh cherry mclean I, I guess not cherry directly but you guys sort of work well listen saturday nights you know yeah. although we never uh every once in a while they'd bring grapes out on our desk after a game and we get to talk and i really wish they they would have done that more with us because i i think you know over the years of course grapes loves working alone and he was so great at it for 30 plus years but i liked it when he got involved with other hockey guys and, and had some, some good conversations and I wish they would have pushed that a little bit more, but um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Doug McLean's another guy that uh, had great, great uh, conversations with over the years on hockey central at noon. And now he's a big part of uh, real Kipper at noon, my digital show on YouTube that is also found on Spotify and, and uh, Apple and, and those various uh, podcast platforms. And I'm having a ton of fun with him as well. So it's all good. Got You're right. It's good that you need big personalities. That's what TV and radio are all about. Were you ever, were you ever intimidated or did like, how do you sort of, measure yourself or, or figure out where, where do I come yeah, in? Yeah, that's a good question. The, do I need to be the same? Do I need to be yeah. different? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that, uh, you know, they really told me when I first started in this business, Karen was just, you know, be yourself. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know who the hell that is, man, in front of, you know, a million people, uh, camera in my face. And <laughs> It's, it's a hard ask yeah. for a guy that's never done it before. So it takes, it takes a while to kind of figure it out a little bit and find your place and find your comfort zone. And I, I do talk about it, you know, in, in great detail of the struggles that I had no different than my first year of uh, junior hockey or pro the broadcast world was a very difficult for one for me at at the start. And one that I ended up getting fired and Mm. somehow managed to save my job because of it. But they don't tell you, you come out of professional hockey and they put you on TV and they're like, yeah, just, just be great. And I'm like, "Uh, what does that (laughs) mean? mean? (laughs) I don't even know what that means. And, you know, Scott Moore is a good friend of mine who hired me originally started telling the media that I was going to be the, the, the next John Madden in, in, uh, from NFL football. Yeah. And of course he's, he's like grapes for football bigger than life. And I'm like, can we just figure out if I'm going to be a Nick Kiprios or not before I'm a John Madden? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, t- it takes a while. And like anything else, you're going to fall, dust yourself up and find a different way to get there. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask you about this sort of the transition from hockey to broadcasting 
more more of sort of the the, the mentality side, and, and I, I want to sort of uh, use this 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 uh, incident that happened with with you and the Rangers. I think I think it was after you guys won the Stanley Cup. There's these uh, assault allegations. No, that was uh, that was in Washington after our first uh, Washington. Okay. Yeah, Washington. Uh, a con- our uh, first visit to the conference finals. Yes. So there's these allegations, and you're like, "What the hell is going on? Why is my name in this?" And yeah, years later, you're in media, and so I want to sort of understand what goes through your head, or did you then? Did you sort of look back at what happened to you as a player? to understand how media comes up with stories or how things get translated or mistranslated. Yeah. yeah that's, um, yeah, that's a really good question again, man. You're good. You're, you're hitting me some ones uh, <laughs> that make me really think. And, you know, the one thing I can tell you is that I, I did pride myself on attention to detail around me. And I think yeah. when you're talking about third and fourth line guys, glue guys in the dressing room and, when you want to play the role of a tough guy, often you should be one of the more popular guys in the room because you bring good energy and you keep everybody together and safe, right? It's not, you can't be part of a click. You got to be a guy that gets along with the Russians, the Swedes, the Finns, the Americans. And you know, even though you're Canadian, right? So you have to attention to detail has to be huge. So why I'm saying this is because the media played such a big role in professional hockey that you you have to have attention to detail when you're dealing with them on a day-to-day basis, because they've got a job to do. Mm -hmm. And then most often, although you play every day, they get the last say. Mm. So if you don't acknowledge that, and if you don't respect that, then you chances are uh, the image or the perception that you'll exude will not be in your favor. Mm. So to, to go through that experience now at age 23, you know, um, partying in, in, in Georgetown, which should have been, you know, a great moment for Washington capital uh, history going further in the playoffs than they ever had before. It should have been just nothing but a great time. And then of course uh, there's an incident in a limo. And uh, as, as I talked about in the book, it just changed everything dramatically. Uh, teammates were accused and I now was being haunted by local media, national media, uh, hard hard copy, these magazine shows that started yeah. popping up in the U S and probably should have just scared me right away from the media to your point. Sure. Yeah. But the important thing is to understand that, uh, at the end of the day, they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're doing a job that they're being paid for that, uh, someone told them go out and find the story or, and they were hanging out in my bushes. They were trying to, wow. they were everywhere during that story and could have easily intimidated a lot of people, but I, I just tried to stay focused and, and make sure that the truth got out. Uh, and that's eventually what happened with uh, a grand jury 
there wasn't mm. enough evidence to uh, indict my teammates and we moved on. But the damage that that caused uh, ultimately caught up to all of us. We had a good team in Washington yeah. and we were, were moving in, in the right direction. And then the next thing, you know, one of our best players, Scott Stevens is gone to St. Louis and uh, we were backpedaling ever since, but that, that moment could have scared me a lot uh, from a media side, but uh, that was an important, important thing was that I stayed focused and found a way to get the truth out. And did it sort of help you understand how to conduct yourself in media? Well, the depth, yeah, the, the depth of the media, again, uh, you can never, ever uh, take for granted or, uh, or underestimate. So uh, they're, 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 they're powerful people and they help shape an image and a perception. And it was never lost on me. And once I got in the media, I understood the power of my words mm. and uh, how I say it. And I try to form, you know, educated, you know, thoughts that, uh, you know, that didn't fall by the wayside that uh, I know that what I can say can influence. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, it was never lost on me over 20, 20 years. I think there's a, um, I can't remember the name of the player, but I think Sportsnet wanted you to fly somewhere to camp yeah. out at someone's house because of a Felix train. Bodvan, a guy that I right. played with. Yes. And I just, I and just retired no. and he was having issues with the Leafs, uh, either not reporting or wanting a new contract. And they're like, why don't you just go to his house and go back and get us an interview? And I'm like, you just want me to just show up and knock on his door. And they're like, yep. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, I do that. He's going to be pissed off at me. Other people around the league are going to be pissed off at me. And I mean that in, in all honesty, you know, that's what some, and I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong. If, if a certain journalist wants to do that, because many of the stories have come from a knock on the door. I get that. It's yeah. just, that's not for me at that point in my career. Right. But I, it, it, it was a real early lesson to understand the depth of a major sports network or a, a major newspaper like Toronto star or globe and mail or Vancouver that how important the story is, mm -hmm. right? That's again, they're getting paid to do a job and they'll go to great lengths to get it. So understand that you're not the only pro on the ice here. There's yeah. other pros here getting paid to do a job. And you uh, seem to, to sort of protect that. I don't know if it's a code or sort of protect that relationship that you wanted. To, you knew you had a job to do, but then you also had relationships with players and you didn't want to be that guy that, I don't know, maybe didn't care about players and just wanted to get a story. Well, you seem to protect that very carefully. I know I, I lasted for 21 years. Um, for other reasons besides I, I kept all my teeth, you know, except, <laughs> except my bottom ones. <laughs> right. But 
you know, all, all kidding aside, I wanted to base a broadcasting career. The most important thing for me was trust mm. that they, uh, whether you're a fan watching or, or you're dealing with me on a day-to-day -day basis, whether you are a player, whether you are uh, a source who share information, you got to be able to trust me. So I didn't want to show up on, on Felix Potvan's front door because then I felt like that wouldn't have been a good start to build trust. So I wanted to base it my career on that. And for the most part, whether I was dealing with players, coaches, general managers, agents, administrative people in the office, league, um, league people, players association people that they're going to say, okay, Nick's Nick's like everybody else. He, he, he's looking for the story. He wants to get his facts right, but he's, he's not going to take the knees from underneath us. Mm. If he's going to say something, there's a, there's a good chance he's going to say it to our faces first before he says it on air. So everybody knows where everybody stands. And that's, that's what I wanted to build a broadcasting career on. That's awesome. Um, we all know your high as a professional hockey player was with uh, the Rangers winning the cup. 94, 95, 94. Yep. 94. Um, What's your, your, your biggest high as a, as a broadcaster? Well, I think, I think when I look back, uh, I didn't grow up uh, dreaming of winning a gold medal because there wasn't one, right? So Stanley Cup will always sit number one for me, but I will say that the moment of Sidney Crosby's goal yeah. uh, was never lost on me especially because it was uh, on Canadian soil, the highest rated television show in history. And will will always be that way, especially now that half our country watches on digital anyways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Yeah. But that was a really, really cool moment. And, you know, we can talk about hockey panels, TSN, hockey night in Canada, but you know, for two and a half weeks, just me, Bob McKenzie and, and, uh, Darren Pang were the three hockey broadcasters and, uh, James Duffy on the gold medal game being with those guys. And they built us a set right above Sidney Crosby's goal. And it was, it's a hundred thousand dollar hydraulic set that just would come out from underneath the seats. It was the most <laughs> incredible thing. And to have those seats for every game of every moment, even though my eyes were blurred by that, by the end of the tournament, uh, was a very, very big high in my broadcasting I, career. I know there, there's a rule. There's no cheering. Um, as, as a broadcaster, I think we were too tired to cheer, to be honest <laughs> okay. with you. We were doing three games a day. It was, uh, it was incredible. Yeah. To, and we went, I went there and like I said, in the book, I thought, okay, am I going to do 
Three games, five games, 10 games. No, you're doing all the games, every single game. And uh, Canadian or otherwise. Wow. Yeah. So it was uh, was a special moment and, and one that continues to grow in its legacy, you know, as the years go by. So let's let, we have to lay this one to, to rest, Nick. Um, I know in your book, I, in you as an individual driven, always competed. So started with, with Sportsnet, one of the first employees, uh, on, on the, on TV. Um, obviously you guys are going up against TSN. There's the tweet heard around the hockey world. Um, but, but, but I found it hilarious that Bob McKenzie's on the back of, yeah. of, of your book. Bob McKenzie, one of those fuckers at TSN. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I called them. I called yeah. them and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into the great details of it because it's in the book. Um, but I, it just, really shows how competitive we were back then yeah and how it just pissed us off that they they were the big brother and we're trying to make a name for ourselves and they're not no one taking no one's taking us seriously and they're laughing at us and telling us we won't last for five minutes with a second (laughs) broadcasting channel and that was just uh that was just a volcano ready to erupt that tweet. <laughs> and uh, yeah, at the time I was really nervous about it. Thought my career was over. My wife saved me again uh, by helping me manage that whole situation. But I, it was never lost on me. I, I played a win, man. Yeah. I, I'm in it. I don't like second place. And I want people to think that we're as good as TSN, if not better. And I'm fighting every day for that. And the good part about that was I know people around me felt it as well. Coworkers, you know, even my bosses and it's never, it's never a bad thing to show how much you care sometimes as long as it's authentic and it's not manufactured (laughs) or you're trying to, you know, fake just to look good. Sure. So it was, it was a, a real moment for me and a one that I thought maybe could have cost me my job at the time, but ended up helping me and maybe the, the network in, in, in a small way. Yeah. But you, there wasn't, it wasn't all hate. Like Bob's not going to come on your and, and sort of help. No, a word. no, I think, uh, yeah, it, it may have taken a little while <laughs> to laugh it off, but yeah. you know, for the most part, uh, we are good friends. Of course, Darren Drager and I worked for yes. seven, eight years at Sportsnet together. And I talk a lot about that in the yeah. book as well. Uh, we are good friends. It's a small knit you know, um, fraternity. We're all in it together. We drove each other. We pushed each other harder and we were rewarded with it, you know, because the more we fought, the the higher the ratings went and ultimately the more money we made as broadcasters. So it, I, I think it worked out for everybody. Yeah. Um, I want, I wanted to ask you, did you, what did you learn about yourself? If, if anything, uh, undertaking the, the writing of, of this book. 
just, I think, uh, the resiliency that I had Mm. and I'm, I gotta be honest with you. Like here we are in 2021 and you know, a lot of the feelings that I had that I just wrote in the book, you know, at age seven or eight or, you know, 17 or, you know, 23, 32, I'm, I'm feeling now at, at 54 years of age where mm. you're, you're not sure where everything's heading and there is uncertainty and yeah. it's nice to, to look at the book and say, I got through that. I can get through 2021 right now because, you know, you start a podcast up, you're not sure where that's going. My wife and I also started a beverage drink called Little Buddha Cocktail yeah. Company, uh, something that we've never done before, something that uh, is kind of scary out there because you're against some really big sharks out there trying to sell uh, uh, cocktails in a can in a multi-billion dollar industry where mm-hmm. you can get stepped on real quick and you don't know. And it's nice to, to look at my book and say, you found a way then you'll find a way in 2021. I've got some rapid fire questions for you to sort of end this thing off. Um, best player you played against. Well, I think ultimately in my era, it always comes down to Wayne Gretzky and Mary Lemieux. Uh, now Wayne, I didn't see as often either uh, because I was always in the East and he was always in the West. So the one or two times I was able to play against him was, was really cool. Cause it's like playing against the Beatles, <laughs> but the best player hands down, Mario Lemieux. Interesting. Just six, four. So graceful for a guy that big with that big of a reach. Uh, he killed us in Washington. Uh, we could easily won a Stanley cup if it wasn't for him in Washington. And saw like, I remember watching him, people would two, three players draped over him and he'd still be able to find a way to get the puck in the net. It was Often against the Washington capitals, man. <laughs> was that, yeah. I don't want it to be the obvious answer for this next question. But the toughest player you fought. Oh gosh. Not your not your toughest fight, but your yes. toughest the toughest player. Yeah. Um well Ryan Vandenbush knocked me out, but I can't go there. I I'll I'll go Chris Simon, Quebec Nordiques, oh, yeah. and then Colorado. Uh six four, but just vicious. <laughs> like like scary vicious. Where you, 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 you find yourself trying to throw a punch going, how did I get myself in this mess? <laughs> and you know, he's, he's had some issues off the ice too, mm. uh, on the ice. Uh, but when I look back and say, I had no business fighting that guy. Did your mom ever get used to you fighting? No, no, <laughs> she not a big fan, but she was good enough to tell me that she understood. Okay. And, uh, was always very supportive. Always. I knew I could go home and 
you know, have a great dinner, you know, nice, nice souflaki, Greek rice, uh, <laughs> you know, nice olives, uh, village salad, right? Just cucumbers, onions, tomatoes. <laughs> Dude, I haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> <laughs> best, best goalie you've played against. Best goalie I played against? Yeah. Oh, there's so many good ones, but I think Dominic Hoshik. Oh, yes. That's right. And, oh, my God. He was like, I'm thinking I got like, you know, a good three feet, you know, on, on, on the lower half of the you know left side of the net. And he just... <laughs> You know, it's not even a pad that goes across. He's like, he's on his stomach swimming and <laughs> he gets a piece of it. I've never seen a guy that good never quit on a puck. And yeah. Mike Richter, of course, was one of the best that I've seen, you know, with, um, you know, with a hockey team I played for. Mm -hmm. But Dominic Hoshik will, should, should go down as one of the best goaltenders in history. It's for me, it's Marty Brodeur. Patrick Waugh and, and, and Dominic, Dominic. And maybe on, maybe on, on different circumstances, uh, Dominic would have been, uh, the guy known as the best of all. Yeah. Your favorite teammate. My favorite teammate. Uh, see, that's a loaded question because there's so many, like my favorite, my favorite coattail teammate to ride on Mark Messier, of course, how can that not be the case? Sure. Yes. You of go course, yeah. anywhere you're in New York city. Uh, you're with Mark Messier. You're, you're part of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, my roommates were always amazing. I had Steve Leach and, in uh, Washington, I had Jeff Sanderson in Hartford. I had uh, Brian Noonan in New York, which was great. But, you know, Glenn Healy and I have a pretty special relationship. Uh, Glenn, in many ways, I talked about Tim Kerr earlier. Yeah, Glenn yeah. Healy was a guy that kind of took me under my wing. You know, when I was 16, 17, we hit it off uh, in Toronto and uh, skated a lot in the summer. And then I was able to be a teammate with him in uh in new york so uh fun story in the book about glenn and i playing chess on on our team flights and and mike keenan uh yes. not being very happy about it <laughs> speaking of keenan your favorite coach you've ever played for yeah oh listen uh i had great success uh brian murray was my first coach you know god rest his soul uh good man uh, Paul Holmgren played tough. I like to play tough. He gave me a chance to play a lot. I scored 17 goals in Hartford. That was great. But ultimately, what's it all about, Karim? It's about winning, winning yeah. the Stanley Cup. So, you know, Keenan put me in game seven. As, as, you know, and there's a lot of stories That's right. That's right. in my book on, on, on why not to like Mike Keenan, but... I can't tell you that they, they trumpet winning a Stanley cup with them. Yeah. Right. If you win so the cup, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. So that's if so you want true. a little bit of Keenan, good and bad buy it, buy undrafted. That's true. Your best as, as a visitor, as a visiting player, your, your favorite city. Well, it was in Washington. It was New York city. <laughs> And there's a fun story about us uh, with the Capitals visiting the China Club. That was the hot spot back then, baby. You, you're walking in there, you're you're bumping elbows with 
all the movie stars, the models, the the rock stars. So we always raced to New York City to go to the China Club. But you know, once I was a New York Ranger and, and you're able to to do that on off nights, right? Not, of course, of course. Right? On 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 nights that uh you didn't have to play the next night. Uh then you start thinking about original six teams. Uh, Chicago, Montreal, those that was always awesome to go into Montreal and play against La Canadienne. That was very special yeah. as a pro player. And when I was younger, LA was kind of cool too, because that's sure. you know, Tinseltown and uh and movie stars all over again. For sure. So tell me at, at the end of your book, you, you know, you, you say you're going to be doing some different things. You've obviously started uh, a couple of uh, ventures. Um, tell me, tell me about the beverage business. Tell me about the beverage company. Yeah. It's uh, right up. Uh, I knew my, uh, I had a long-term contract with sports and it was for eight years. So the whole idea behind me signing that term, that long-term was that I could get out of broadcasting you know, by the time I'm in my, you know, fifties. So when the opportunity arose, uh, I, I wanted to start something right away. And my wife and I, with some family friends, we're, we're talking one night at uh, a nice barbecue and beverages came up and we were talking about ones that we liked ones we didn't like ones that had too much sugar ones that gave us headaches one that uh was too sweet and we actually did a wish list at the dinner on if we started a beverage what would we want from it yeah so of course you know the first thing we said is organic got to be uh the the cleanest ingredients that we can find. And then it was no sugar. And then it was gluten-free. And then it was keto-friendly. No preservatives. And, you know, whatever we could throw at it, we did. And then we we circled back and said, it's it's got to taste great. Like nobody cares. Nobody yeah. cares about all these great ingredients if it, if it doesn't it taste sweet. sucks. Yeah. So we we took that pie in the sky idea and then actually went to work. And to be honest with you, uh, you know, I don't do the day to day. That's my wife and Marie and our business partner, Kim, they actually run little Buddha cocktail company and they went to work right away. Google is the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. You know, it'll tell you how do you, how you buy aluminum cans. They'll tell you about, uh, how do you put the flavors together? It is incredible. And that, that, that's it. I wish I could tell you that we had this super, uh, brilliant game plan, but we didn't, we didn't. So if you're out there listening right now and you've got a plan that you don't think is quite right to start your project, don't think that way at all. Just get her going, start it and, and, and make it up as you go along until you get it right. And yeah. that's the way we were able to do that. So we took a pie in the sky idea. And then what, 14 months later, we sold uh, almost 25,000 cases in the LCBO. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. And we've got a, uh, we've got another flavor coming out in the LCBO. It's a peach tea. And, uh, 
And now we're, we're, we're pushing out West a little bit. We're in Alberta, Saskatchewan and, Congratulations. Uh, and hopefully out East, uh, this summer as well. So it's been fun. It's been, uh, it's been fun. It's been great watching, uh, my wife and, and our business partner, Kim, because it's a predominantly male world. This, uh, sure. you know, uh, beverage industry and, and they're thriving, uh, beyond belief that, that should be your next interview. Uh, these two women. For sure. Put them in touch. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so real Kipper at noon, it's, it's not, is it just a podcast or is it more? It's no, a it's a YouTube thing? channel. YouTube channel. So yeah, you, uh, it's a YouTube channel. I, I built a studio, uh, in my basement. Uh, we went live at noon. Uh, it's, it's through, uh, linemovement.com. Uh, they, they're part of the I3, uh, company that, uh, isn't online betting. Yep. So basically they approached me and said, can you do some of the stuff that we've been used to watching you on Sportsnet, uh, uh, with the show? And I said, sure, absolutely. So, uh, we went to work and I wasn't too interested in, in getting, involved full time like i my commitment at sportsnet but this was enough to keep my my voice and my name in the game without yeah. a huge commitment and it's been a lot of fun doug mclean is on with me uh so we we capture a little bit of that old uh, chemistry that we had at sportsnet on hockey central at noon and it's been a lot of fun and we're looking forward to getting going again uh january 13th that is awesome, man. Yeah. That is really, so really, make sure great. you subscribe. Real Kipper at noon. Real Kipper at noon on YouTube. On YouTube. That is awesome. Yeah. Nick, this has been great. I have one final question. Sure. For you. Um, what's one thing most people don't know about you? <laughs> um, I... Uh, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I, 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 I'm shy. I can be, I can be shy and people think I've got this, uh, huge belly laugh and I got to be the center of attention sometimes, but that, that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth, man. And, and I'll tell you something, the older I get, the, the more shy I'm going to get. I can tell you. <laughs> Are you, are you the, are you the guy that goes to, I know we haven't done it in a year now, but is, is fine going to some party and just hanging out on the couch uh, with a yeah. beverage in hand. Is that you? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 if I can find, you know, a nice conversation, right. With sure. a couple of people, that would be great. But I'm not the one telling a joke to 20 people. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not getting overly animate, uh, animated uh, in storytelling. Uh, so, yeah, if I could sit at the, if I can sit at the end of the couch with one or two people like you and and, and talk like we did the last hour and have a little Buddha handy, uh, that's good enough for me. That is awesome. The show is Real Kipper at noon. Go check yes. it out on YouTube. The book is undrafted by yeah. Nick Kiprios. And your first hockey book you've ever First read. hockey book that I've read every word cover to cover. 
and you said you were emotional after that. What? What? Get, let, I'm, I'm intrigued was... now. Now, now I'm turning the interview around. Oh jeez. What, uh, what? What? What is it that made you so emotional after you read it? I felt that you were. It was. I, I, it wasn't a word. It wasn't a sentence. It was everything. It was about, you know, you, you start off with family and you end off with, I think you end off at the same place, you and your dad looking up at Maple Leaf Gardens. And it was like, it's a story about, that's why when I read it, it wasn't like, this isn't some kid that everybody said he's going to be a star and he just had to change his game a bit. And he was like amazing on television. It, it was about a kid that saw a game with his dad, like many kids in this country have done at one point in time, whether live or on television or, you know, playing on a, on a rink in a field somewhere. And then you go through your life, you talk about all your struggles, all your success. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't cover it up with, you know, Hollywood speak. And you ended off as a, I think you ended off as a kid outside of Maple Leaf Gardens. Yeah. Can I read it to you? Yeah, go ahead. Who knows what the future brings? Perhaps I will turn into that Greek papu which is grandfather spinning, spinning a spit of lamb at the side of the house, embarrassing my grandchildren. I might be that old guy dancing around with a white napkin in my hand, leading the line like Zorba the Greek, just to really push the kids over the edge. Inside, however, I will somehow always be that eight-year-old boy outside Maple Leaf Gardens, where the ground was shaking from the roar of the fans inside holding my father's hand. I did not know it then, of course, but that moment would shape the rest of my life. Years that I would not trade for anything. The rest is up for grabs. And I think the reason I read it all was because to me, it wasn't a hockey book. You know, it, it was, yes, yeah. that's, that's, that's your career. Well, thank you. It didn't feel like a hockey book. I'm glad because uh, that, to me, it it makes it all worthwhile. That uh, that if it can move you like that, then then that then it did its job. The book did its job. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the time, Nick. I really appreciate it. And uh, listen, all and sorry, the beverage company is Buddha. Little Buddha Cocktail Company. And uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and, and yeah, follow us and, uh, and get the latest and, uh, ask for it at your LCBO at the LCBO. Yeah. Awesome. Nick Caprios. Grilled pineapple. (laughs) Is that what it is now? Grilled pineapple and rosemary. Dude, in the middle of winter, you need that reminder of summer, right? Oh, you, this, this is, this is summer in a can, man. (laughs) Okay. We need it in January and February. Oh yeah. For sure. Thanks for your time.